Come, Holy Spirit, speak through my mouth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and minds that we might hear only you. Amen. Today's gospel is a story we all know well, or we think we know it pretty well. So well that sometimes it is hard to really listen to it and let the words work in us. Our minds tend to close up a bit when we hear super familiar things. Have you ever experienced that when your spouse is telling that same story for the 180th time and you love them, but you just kind of zone out for a little bit and then you come in at the end? So that can happen with our gospel readings, right? Because we hear them over and over again, and we think we know what we're supposed to know about them. And I want to encourage us today to be open to the Holy Spirit, to the magic of what that amazing power of God can do in us today with this lesson. So let's look at the text a little differently, with open hearts. There are times in our lives when we pray to God for specific things. Not little things like finding a good parking spot or winning a game, but big things. Where we can't really see how a resolution could come about. At least not the solution we think should happen, or the one that we just desperately want to happen. The complicated thing about this is that our prayers are often answered in ways that don't seem to make sense to us, or perhaps don't feel like an answer at all. In fact, there have been times when God's answers to my prayers have been stacked up like neatly packaged presents on my front porch. But because they don't look like I thought they should, or because they aren't the answers I wanted, well, I don't even see them. I just walk right by those gifts as though God hadn't given them to me without giving them a second glance. Recently, I found myself in one of those situations. I prayed for relief and God provided an answer. But the person sent to me in answer to my request did not look anything like I thought they should. And I don't mean that they were taller than I expected or they had blonde hair instead of brown. What I mean is, this person does not see the world the way that I do. They believe things that I do not believe. And I found myself confronted with my own biases and expectations, not seeing the person for who they are, but only seeing the things I don't agree with. And then it occurred to me, this person was an answer to my prayer. This person was here to help me, and I could choose to take the gift given and trust that all would be well, or I could turn away and tell God, no thanks, I'll only take your gifts when they come looking like what I would like them to look like. Perhaps I am alone in this, but I don't think so. Have you, any of you found yourselves in this sort of situation? We really, really want God and need God to listen to our prayers and help us. But we only want that. Sometimes, deep inside, hard to admit to ourselves. 
We only want that when God is also willing to take direction from us. How surprising is it to find ourselves thinking that we know more than God does? How frustrating to realize that when push comes to shove, it is so very hard to walk forward in faith, trusting that God's will is the path we have to follow, despite any idea we had for how our lives would look. It's not easy. And it can make you really angry. At least, it's made me really angry on several occasions. But the good news is, God can take our anger, God can take all of our emotion and meets us with love and acceptance, and then God, being God, keeps right on giving us those gifts that God sees we need, regardless of what we think we need. The Samaritan who stopped to help the stripped and beaten man lying half-dead by the side of the road was an answer to a need, to a prayer. But he was an answer that looked nothing like the answer the man would have asked for. Those expected to be answers to his need were those who didn't actually stop to help. Not that they shouldn't have helped, but they didn't. In the context of this story, the people who passed by are the equivalent to those we absolutely expect to help us when we are in need. They are obvious choices. Friends, neighbors, social workers, police, upstanding citizens of the community. They could have done the right thing, but they didn't. And the hard truth is that sometimes we are those people. But those people were not the answer to the prayer that day. The Samaritan was the answer. And believe me when I tell you, he was the very last person on earth the beaten man would have expected to arrive in answer to prayer. And why is that? Before I can really answer that question, I first need to remind all of us that there are three groups of people we need to think about in reference to this passage. The first is the lawyer who asked the question and those who were gathered around to hear the answer to the question. The second are the people in the parable itself. And the third is the community that Luke was writing for. Luke's gospel was written in about the year 85, which is more than 50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And in the case of all three groups, so over a fairly big span of time, many decades here, all three groups would have said that the Samaritan would be the last person that any of them would expect to help the beaten man. And let me be clear, this isn't because Samaritans were bad people or uncaring or had a different set of virtues and concepts of right and wrong than the community of Jewish people the beaten man was part of. No, the reason the Samaritan was the last person anyone listening to this story would have expected to be the answer to prayer is because Samaritans were enemies. And this wasn't one-sided. They both were enemies of each other. They weren't just people with different political or religious affiliation, although they did fall into those categories, but they were people who stood in hostile opposition to all the groups that I previously mentioned to whom this text was directed. As Bible scholar Amy Jill Levine notes, to, Jewish's, to Jesus' Jesus's Jewish audience, as well as, to the, as Luke's readers, the idea of a good Samaritan would make no more sense than the idea of a good rapist. 
or a good murderer. This is the kind of person we might want to dismiss as completely inhuman and without any compassion. We might find ourselves wondering if we even want to accept aid from such a person. Those we expect to help do not stop. Those we don't expect to help do. God's answers to our prayers do not necessarily come packaged as we'd like. They aren't necessarily what we hoped for or delivered by those we anticipate. Jesus' example is more extreme than the one that I provided at the beginning of the sermon, but in both cases, being able to receive God's answer requires leaving behind all sense that we know what answered prayer should look like, who is likely to be providing help, and any attachment to a specific outcome. Yeah, I know, that one's really hard. All people are more than the groups they are affiliated with. The worst actions that they have ever done or which positions they hold on the hot topics of the day. Our faith requires us to be open enough to consider that help can and does come from unlikely sources and that all people have something to teach us or some help to offer. If we are able to get out of our own way and receive the gift God is offering. And to make matters more complicated in all of this, sometimes we just ask the wrong questions. In our focus on our personal struggles, our own comfort, our own lives, we narrow our focus and we miss the bigger picture. When we are limited in our thinking, it's all about us. And that's what happens here. At the beginning of the reading, the lawyer says to Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it isn't just that the lawyer is testing Jesus, although he is testing Jesus. He's trying to catch him out. But he is also showing that he would like Jesus to tell him exactly what to do to inherit eternal life. The wording here doesn't necessarily strike our ears as all that odd, but in the original Greek, the verb tense used is one that suggests a single, limited action. In other words, this lawyer is suggesting that Jesus tell him the one single thing that he can do to guarantee him eternal life. Write a check. Pray a prayer. Go to one outreach meeting. And Jewish law is quite clear, as is Christian belief, that eternal life is something we are already given by faith. But we live good lives not because these actions help us check off the box to ensure something we desire for ourselves, but because these are the correct actions to do because of the God that we claim to believe in. Living a life that we are called to live means showing up and doing the next right thing. Over and over and over again. Not because we earn our way to eternal life. Not because someone else is watching. But because it is what we are called to do as faithful followers of Christ. The Samaritan in the parable understands this. Not only does he help the man in the moment, but he makes provision for him to be cared for by the innkeeper. Jesus attempts to get the lawyer to see that eternal life is not a commodity to be purchased, 
with an action, but a gift freely given, like one of those ones left on my front porch, maybe wrapped in a different color wrapping paper than I might want. But there it is. Compassion is something we do even for our enemy. We receive even from our enemy because that is what loving our neighbor is. Actions that acknowledge the humanity and the potential to do good even in the enemy rather than choosing selfishness. Can we allow ourselves to love our neighbors? Can we allow God's transformative power to enter into our lives through prayers fulfilled in ways that don't make any sense to us? Can we open ourselves up to see that all people, even those we think of as enemies, are more than one action, one belief, one thing, that they too are children of God, and God can and does use all of us to do God's work. Eternal life is a gift freely given. Let us live our lives knowing, deep inside of ourselves, that that is true. Amen.